Gregory bravely sacrificed himself to become the ship's <laughs> red. <laughs> I think that's false. Oh, Master Splinter's super toads mad. What? Yes! Yeah. Two broomsticks at the same time. Expecto Patronum! <laughs> Y'all never amount to anything! Completely false. If it was Andy's Girthy Candy, there's no way they'd ever change So, name. so, wait, is it Goblins? Did I get it wrong? Oh, this one's true! I am chocolate! <laughs> and the theme of today's podcast is... Wait, are we still in the intro? Hello and welcome to the Allegedly Podcast. My name is Alex and with me always is Joe. Hello! In this podcast, I will tell Joe a series of three stories, and Joe will tell me which stories are real or which ones are fabricated by myself or from viewers that have submitted their stories to us. The theme of today's stories is something kind of special. It's outer space. 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 Ooh. Ooh. Those outer, those outer space noises. Yeah, we, we're not rich enough. Oh. We don't have a budget for those, you know, hi-fi noises here. We're like, <laughs> we, we need to make our own. <laughs> well, see, yeah, see how this is just uh, audio. I guess it, it doesn't make – we have to make some sort of noises because <laughs> you know, real space would just be dead air. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's a va- the vacuum of space. Standard Kubrick's rolling in his grave. Like, there's no fucking sound out there. Yeah, god damn it. Did nobody <laughs> watch that movie I made? <laughs> yeah. I got I got a series, so I got I got three stories for you. Each one have a space theme. Beautiful. I I will say one is true. Okay? The other does two, that mean the other two are lies? Or does that mean oh, at least one is true? At least one is true. Okay. Oh, Trixies. Yeah. So you you have to determine based on context or maybe your own knowledge or just how well you know me and how, you know, ridiculous my writing is. Well, if this first story is about Christopher Nolan, I got this shit. This first story is not. Damn it. Fascinating. <laughs> Twists and turns. OK, so here we go. First story. Ready to go? Sure thing. All right. James T. McGann. Fake. Already fake. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> Got All it. Next chat. story. <laughs> James T. Mangan, M-A-N-G-A-N, is a famous eccentric public relations man and best-selling author, author of self-help topics. In his book, The Secret of Perfect Living, Mangan created a psychological system slightly resembling transcendental meditation in which readers were encouraged to engage in their subconscious minds and obtain specific mental states by focusing their attention on a mantra-like one-word affirmation called switch words. Obviously. Obviously. For example, focusing on giggle would be useful to get in the mood for writing. So I'm just trying oh, to set, set you up that, here. Wouldn't that, wouldn't that get you in the mood for giggling? I, I don't – hey, look, I didn't write the book, man. I'm just trying to let you get, get a little glimpse in this guy's head. Okay. Apparently he doesn't know what giggle means, so that's a uh, clue. I mean, and it was all, you know, it's all capitals giggle. You can't, you know, you cannot, oh. you know, lowercase giggle. It has to be uppercase giggle. Obviously, you have to scream giggle. <laughs> yeah. Get in the root of that writing, got to scream giggle. There's no other way. <laughs> all right. Our story starts January 1st, 1949, the start of the year, the first day. 
residence James Thomas Mangan walked into the records of deeds and titles of Cook County in Evergreen, Evergreen Park, Illinois, and declared himself as founder and first representative of the Nation of Celestial Space, also known as Celestia. Well, I imagine it was a tight race, so he had to beat <laughs> the Russians there. Get this. Celestia is comprised of the entirety of outer space minus Earth. Which well, that's, that's nice of him. So the universe. But he'll let us have Earth? <laughs> he, okay. he, he, he allowed it. He allowed it. Everything well, else that's, is that's, that's nice of him. That's nice. <laughs> <laughs> which Mangan laid claim to on behalf of humanity to ensure that no one country might establish a political was hegemony there? <laughs> that... I say political sovereignty, whatever. They can't. I mean, I, don't, I mean, Hermione, hegemony, whatever. Yeah, seriously. No, no one country is going to be able to claim space now because this guy says it's all mine on behalf of humanity. He <laughs> I is see zero. Person. I see zero political problems with that. <laughs> Just imagine rolling in the balls on this guy to roll in with official claim papers to be like, you know. This is mine now. I am claiming unclaimed territory. <laughs> well, I, I, I think the Brits and <laughs> Africans have something to say about that. But yeah, we oh. can't fucking imagine that shit. <laughs> and they do. So, so it, it's it, it's interesting. Other micro nations, it is not uncommon for other people to claim unclaimed territory, especially in open waters on Earth. Um, there's places that are claimed out in Australia. That are what's called micro nations that are literally, you know, a hundred square feet of just a plot of land that are now a sovereign nation outside of the country that holds them because it's not against the law to claim that as sovereignty. That that's how you know it's the most useless land. <laughs> <laughs> Some jackass could just go take it. Like just huh? no one fucking wants it. <laughs> they're just like they stick a flag in, they're like, This is mine now. And I am like, not. Oh, oh, that pile of sand. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the sand There's castle. One bush. <laughs> so he claims it on 1949. Start of the year, he comes in with his papers, drops it on the table, says, "This is my space now." In September of 1949, right nine months later, Celestial, Celestia as a nation, instituted solely for the purpose and service to man sent diplomatic notes to the UN, USA, and the USSR and UK forbidding further nuclear explosions. That's balls. Hey, I mean, I like where the head's at, but so <laughs> let me get this straight. He's <laughs> he declaring that all of space, all of space, <laughs> minus the Earth that yes. he's living on is his. Yes. And then he sends everyone... On the planet that he's living, a letter telling them how to govern that planet. Tells them exactly how to govern that planet. Not just a little bit, but a lot well, of I it. mean, he's, in nine months, he's done a – there has been zero nuclear blasts in space, so I guess he's got a point. <laughs> he did it. Mission accomplished. <laughs> I mean, I don't want to say the bar was set pretty low for him, but I don't think you could trip on it, dude. <laughs> But, you know, <laughs> I like his so, style. 
Mangan took pride in his initiative, greatly, uh, <laughs> greatly antedating the current drive of Adams for Peace, which is an initiative that he uh, created. In the, in the same year, Mangan declared that spaceships would be a violation of the integrity of his nation and that radio waves, television, radio, wireless transmission, what have you, were also trespassing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he just he just has the thing against electricity is what this is all about. He doesn't he doesn't care. He says like no, I want I want to go back to a letter format. <laughs> Okay. I wanna no, I wanna Space notate. doesn't even want your fucking radio, okay? It's it sounds like yeah. Well he he's an author. He wrote a book. He knows what the writing on the wall, everything's gonna go digital. <laughs> Dude, he, it's gonna turn out he has stocks in a goddamn pulp mill or some shit. Some letterhead company. He's like <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> so he would later state that all space capsules, space junk hardware that are floating in the sky are thereby sufferance of Celestia and may be ordered out at any moment as a violation of the sovereignty of Celestia. Literally could ask the country to take your space shit and get out. Right. You've been littering. These are official letters to, like, Congress and to, like, the USSR. Not even Russia. Soviet <laughs> Union. Like the, yeah, the entire block there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> straight up was like, get your shit out of my space. <laughs> like, but like, like, who in Congress is he sending this to? It gets like, better. is it a particular brand? Like, is it like, is there, is there an office for this? I was I, so I think he had to deal with the like certain offices that dealt with other nations because he declared like I think it would have to be foreign, whatever the foreign service is. Right, because he declared himself a sovereign nation. So if, like, you went over and, you know, violated something with, like, Britain or Nigeria or something, wherever they would send their complaints to, right. he did the same thing. So he's basically <laughs> he's basically sending, like, to the American consulate he, or the, like, yeah. like, the diplomat, like, he's basically claiming that, like, his house has, like, diplomatic immunity. <laughs> so, yeah, exactly. And he also sent these letters to the United Nations, too. <laughs> okay. So, um, so that was 1949. So he was sitting on this nation for eight years because in 1957, after he's been the first representative, it grew, prospered a little bit. 1957, Mangan said, my claim to space is incontestable and my charter to the sky without flaw. He went ahead to offer a $500 bet to anyone who can prove that he did not own the sky and even held meetings where people could voice their objections. Now, $500 in 1957. That's not a small chunk of change. Oh, I just – do you think this is what started the fucking space race? <laughs> well, so – do you think America and Russia just got so fucking tired of this dude's letters? They're like, oh, we'll show you who owns the goddamn sky. Yeah, that oh, – yeah, Sputnik was a flex. It was, for right. sure. <laughs> yeah. not, just to the, not just to the United States, but this was a straight-up flex back to, you know, this guy being like, well, who knows the sky? Boom, boom, Sputnik. <laughs> just you wait, motherfucker. We're going to put a dog up there next. <laughs> so, So he would hold these meetings to say, hey, people, you know – 
prove that I can't own, it, own the sky with lawyers. Many lawyers debated with Mangan concerning the founding of Celestia, but each and every one was converted to Mangan's theory that he owned the sky. Con- converted or just gave up? It could be either one. <laughs> this guy's fucking but, crazy. We're out so, of here. So, so long story short, he legally did everything he needed to do in order to claim unclaimed territory by law. So from a from a legal perspective, all his documents were in order. <laughs> man, man, I want to know the conversation he had when they landed on the moon. Oh, I bet you it wasn't. He had to flip his lid, right? He was not happy. So he's trying to bring Buzz Aldrin up on charges. So, so get this in 1957 in October. Mangan protested that the USSR's launch of Sputnik 1, the world's first artificial satellite, regarding the Soviet feet as trespassing into his territory of Celestia, warning foreign minister Andrei Gromik that all the Soviet satellites would be declared as fira nature, trespassing. <laughs> like... Like almost like a national <laughs> war, like straight up. Mangan demanded that the USSR remove the offending object from his territory. He is demanding this. How how many people are in Celestra? Like, is it just him? It grew to over a hundred thousand people today. <laughs> what? Hold on. Did you say today? Yeah. What? Yeah. It's and they they printed money. <laughs> they have representatives oh man so listen the russians have not ensured what they are going through like a country building a road they must acquire legal right to property before taking action this is what he is telling russia they did not do that (laughs) he admitted however i refuse to issue any license to russia for use of outer space so he goes to russia and says your shit be whack. You, you don't build your shit in my my area. You have to go through the legal means to do so. And so right. even if Russia did it, he was like, I'm going to straight up tell you I'm not giving you a license. That's bias. He was he's an American <laughs> first, I guess. Celestia goes to Celestia, American, and then fuck Russia, I guess, is what he's saying. <laughs> also, I, li- I like the, I love the idea that, like, even even if Russia took him seriously, which I doubt they did. It's not like he could do anything. He's like, you're trespassing. And they're like, and? <laughs> He's like, well, I won't grant you right away. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, that's just where, like, like we'll launch not. It's like, like, like an old guy yelling at kids to get off his lawn, and the kid's going like, are you going to call the cops? Well, no. Well, are you going to come out here? No. All right. <laughs> He's like, I'm just going to keep yelling. <laughs> oh, well then, uh. Because we're just going to keep on though, playing hide and seek, but <laughs> what's what's worse though would be like the analogy of like you know some kids come over and step on your lawn, you yell at them, and you're like, "What the hell?" And then a whole different group of kids come up and like start shitting on your other lawn. You're like, "What the hell?" Like because <laughs> right after that, United States launched ours. <laughs> so get this: on March 10th, 1958. Law students at the Loyola University, Mangan's alma mater, petitioned the U.S. Congress to see that Mangan receive 
a formal hearing from an established committee to whom he could submit such archives, files, and proofs and confirmations as may substantiate his claims and to whose objections and contra-arguments he may be given the right of answering according, the, uh, according to the principles of the American justice system and common fairness. Basically saying he has the right to make his case that he owns it. So all these law students came together and said he should own it. The students declared that thus far they had been unable to pronounce them invalid and that scrutiny of the claims was needed as they may be vitally affecting the real estate laws of today and all the space laws of the future. Yes. <laughs> so three days later, the Loyola students received a reply from a legislator who stated he was not altogether certain that a United States senator is the ideal person to define sovereignty in celestial space. Unfortunately, our own realm is an exceedingly worldly one, and we are having difficulty even reaching outer space. The senator's name was John Fitzgerald Kennedy. <laughs> they got JFK to respond to their <laughs> <laughs> got him to respond to their inquiry. Listen here. <laughs> I'm finding it extremely difficult to even get to outer space. <laughs> finding it hard to comprehend. This <laughs> is like I look up at all these stars and I say to myself, am I just a speck in the universe? Unfortunately, my position here is a worldly one, so pour me another highball. <laughs> Please do not send a reply to my message. <laughs> Take me off your mailing list for the future. It is the nicest way to say, like, the fuck are you talking about? Like, man, this is just not my fucking problem. <laughs> it, honestly, honestly, it, it is. It's almost like this was the most professional way to tell him to shut up and leave me alone. Like this is, <laughs> this is the best example of talking to somebody like they're a child, but using adult language. <laughs> now I know that you want cookies for dinner, but unfortunately <laughs> dinner is a vegetable worldly one. <laughs> think of, think of broccoli <laughs> as space cookies. <laughs> <laughs> I find it even difficult to even reach the cookie jar in the top shelf. <laughs> <laughs> so unfortunately, we will have to stick with broccoli. Dude, JFK was ahead of his time. He was. <laughs> Mangan, <clears throat> uh, Mangan objected, right? So he he. this all happened in 1958. Five years later, Mangan objected in 1963 to commercial endeavors such as the Cosma, uh, Cosmat. Uh, comsat without threatening any lawsuit so the comsat satellite went up he's like this is not okay but he didn't threaten a lawsuit celestia or celestia is a moral nation dedicated to peace everywhere all i am trying to do is suggest by example that in space right is more practical than might basically saying laws need to govern us all blah 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 right. in 1966 he filed a brief 
uh, or he filed a brief against paid subscription TV with the Federal Communications Commission during hearings on paid TV. Right? He says space. He he put out a commercial. (laughs) (laughs) I love this guy. Like this dude is the captain of half measures. It's just like it's like I like what he's saying, but you're like, did you have to claim like claiming space and then trying to fix like like putting earthly morals on top of it just seems to me like, well, couldn't you have just like, you know, fixed earth problems? (laughs) (laughs) He's I mean, he's clearly good at what he does. He gets Congress to respond to him. (laughs) Like, But it's just like. Uh, but space is moral. How, right. how about Earth? <laughs> put out so much. It's just so much stuff that he keeps pushing, right? right. Like, but I think it's also because he opens up legit legal things, right? Like, so he pushes out, hey, this this document is needed to push a formal complaint against the U.S. government right. for trespassing on your sovereignty or something like that. So he pushes that out, fills out all the right paperwork. So legally, he has the right. And space was an unclaimed territory, so it is. Like, yeah, like this, this guy's this guy's clearly crafty as fuck. I just can't help but think he's wasting a lot of his time. <laughs> oh, it gets better. Right. <laughs> so wait, he so he put out a commercial. He says space is the agent of all TV signals. Regular television was operating before I claimed outer space, so I have no objection to its continued operation. But pay TV, right, is another matter. So it's paid television. So now he's in war with paid television, not just free TV signals, but paid television. In 1966, the same year, he declared even this new – wait, did I – oh, yeah. So – and then in the same year, he declared even this new U.S. surveyor camera – on the moon is out of order because my permission was not asked. Right? <laughs> I would gladly have given permission. So they landed on the moon. He's pissed off. Right? They, this this big event happened. He sent in all these letters saying, "Oh my God, we, you know, they put a surveyor camera on there. It's out of order." He claims that it's out because they did not ask for his permission, and he would have given it to the United States. So keep that in mind. He would not given it to Russia. The man's a patriot first. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He's he's a celestial, I guess. First, right, like I'm like, <laughs> it seems weird that he like in declaring a sovereign nation, he had a built-in ally. <laughs> he did. <laughs> All right. While while Mangan and Celestia were politely ignored <laughs> by the superpowers, <laughs> by the superpowers, there is evidence that at least some. Others were prepared to entertain his claims with a greater degree of seriousness. The first unfurling of the Celestian, fel- uh, the Celestian flag featuring a blue sharp symbol within a white disc against a blue field was broadcast in June of 1958 to a television audience of millions across the U.S. And the following day, the flag was raised at the U.N. building in New York City to fly alongside those of the member nations of the organization. What? His flag was raised with the UN. <laughs> yep. So for a brief moment, he was recognized as a micronation of everything in space except for Earth. <laughs> Just <laughs> the micronation of the universe. 
All right. So Thomas James Thomas Mangan's descendants include his son, James C. Mangan, who is deceased, his daughter, Ruth Mangan Stump, right, who was declared Princess of the Nation of Celestial Space, who is now deceased, and three grandsons, Glenn Stump, who is the Duke of Mars, Dean Stump, who is the Duke of Selenia, <laughs> and first representative of the nation, nation of Celestial Space, and Todd Stump, who is the Duke of the Milky Way. <laughs> <laughs> there are also three stump, uh, sons of Glenn Stump, Edward Stump, who was the Duke of Cirrus, and Dan Stump, the Duke of Polaris, and Luke Walter Stump, the Duke of Alpha Centauri. Well, it is, it is nice to know that in space where right beats might, it's also a monarchy. Yeah, it's also dukes and lords. <laughs> the most moral people we, we could think of. So in the end, despite these efforts, the nation of celestial space is thought to have become defunct with the death of its founder. Its only surviving legacy is the series of stamps and silver and gold coins, passports issued with its name uh, in its name by Mangan from the late 1950s to the mid 1960s. And the reason why they were saying uh, the, 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 the nation was defunct isn't because he died, but because in his declaration, he didn't declare for all time. Uh, so in the end, it was a a legal loophole, a, it was a, a legal loophole, loophole of irony <laughs> that he lost his. Yep. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> After all of that, homie didn't dot his fucking eyes. <laughs> He's like he's sitting there with his papers. He's like, everything looks good, right? We have all the legal documentation. We have the legal, you know, the lawyers have looked this over. We're solid, right? Did, did, did you put in for all time? He's like, oh. it, was, it was implied. It was implied. <laughs> it was implied. It's implied. <laughs> it's a monarchy. It passed the son, and then the son passes to his son. And so as Obviously. long as the line of the line of Magnin keeps going, Celestia will continue and prosper. Obviously. <laughs> Yeah, so the 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 Celestia, all hail. <laughs> I'm on board. <laughs> <laughs> kind of makes me want to go and start my own, you know, micro nation of myself. Like, I mean, I can get out of paying taxes. I just gotta find some unclaimed space, like a like a basement. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a nice nice little. <laughs> it's just I think you're thinking of squatters' rights. <laughs> like it it would be. It, it would be Alexville. <laughs> hey, what the fuck are you doing in my basement? Yeah. I'm like, be gone, foreigner. <laughs> this is my basement for all time. Yeah, I would make sure to put that in there. Yeah. Yes, for all of the time. Even after my death, it shall carry over to my first of kin. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. First story. I'm going to hold until the very end before you tell me. Whether this story is real or completely fake, I will let you decide at the end. Let, let it simmer. I'm going to let it simmer. All right, Joe. Second story. <clears throat> around, around 11 p.m. one August night in 1955, the Hopkinsville police were completing their rounds and having a typical evening in their quiet town. 
when all of a sudden, 12 people, five adults and seven children, showed up at the Hopkinsville, Kentucky Police Department in a state of panic. We need help, one gasped. We've been fighting them for nearly four hours. Police officer asked, fighting who? In an attempt to calm the group down. One person replied, little silver men. (laughs) (laughs) Here we go. Well, (laughs) here we go. Mm. Okay. So the story is actually starts off pretty normal. While visiting a friend named Elmer Lucky Sutton at his farmhouse in the tiny town of Kelly on August 21st, 1955, Billy Ray Taylor of Pennsylvania went outside to the well or to the well to collect some water when he noticed something streaking across the sky and it caught his attention. (laughs) Taylor... Taylor later described the silvery object as real bright <laughs> with an exhaust. <laughs> he said it was real bright with an exhaust of all the colors of the rainbow. So he saw a rainbow, a real bright rainbow. Hey, a really bright rainbow with a silver object. He panicked and fled indoors and told the others which included his wife and the Sutton family, that he'd just seen a UFO. Taylor also recalled that he hadn't heard an explosion, just a hissing noise as the object landed somewhere behind the farmhouse. No one took Taylor seriously. No one took him seriously. Why? Because he saw a rainbow UFO. It, that's it. It's Pride Month. They finally came for us. The gays are here. <laughs> they, they, they made it to Kentucky. <laughs> hide everything they got silvery flowers and poop rainbows they're shooting they're shooting flying discs at us <laughs> they're playing diana ross it's annoying <laughs> okay <laughs> taylor also recalled he hadn't heard an explosion oh i read this just a his noise no one took Taylor seriously until the dogs began to bark. Someone or something was approaching the house. <laughs> the terrified group later described to police what they saw in vivid, frightening terms. The invaders had round, oversized heads, long arms with talons that nearly touched the ground. These motherfuckers look scary. So, so they they got some reach. They got some reach yeah. to them. Well, they were tiny. They're little. They're they're like three feet tall. Yeah, but they they're got like, a wingspan though. Yeah, they do. They do. They <laughs> they probably it's it, apparently they have some mad hops too. Like they can, you know, they can their their vertical leap is ridiculous. <laughs> Everything about them seemed to shimmer and glow in the darkness. Their eyes had yellowish light, and their bodies glinted. Like they were made of silver metal. Fucking it, dude. And they were approaching the house. <laughs> <laughs> they circled the barn. God damn it. Okay, All right. but, but those gathered at the Sutton's farmhouse weren't going down without a fight. Sutton Fuck, no, they're and, not, dude. Sutton and Taylor grabbed their guns. When one of the creatures pressed its face against the window, they started to fire. Yeah, 
Y'all got some cookies sitting in there? <laughs> <laughs> just like just, smoking it. Just, just checking in. Just so, hey, hey, I just wanted to make see if anyone was hurt. I just crashed into your barn. It's been a wild night. Oh, God, they got a gun. Yeah. Sorry, my, my DeLorean just crashed in that barn. Oh, my God. <laughs> just, <laughs> I just so, I, I took a wrong turn. Like, oh, Jesus Christ. So they started to open fire. Later interviews of the surrounding homes and the farms that are neighbors to the Suttons revealed that they could hear the gunfire. Although being a farmhouse, gunfire was not too common in those areas. Well, the big question is, did they hear the hiss or see a rainbow? So I, I don't think that they've heard any of that, right? <laughs> just, they go, they're, just, they're just shooting up the house again. They're just they're just firing at them beer bottles. But it was also confirmed by the neighbors and the Suttons themselves that they were a dry household too. So this oh, wasn't just a wild this but, wasn't just a wild party at their house. They were right, all sober. A, so just a bunch of sober crazy people. Okay. Yep. Yeah. That which arguably might be more dangerous. <laughs> well, with that much firepower, sure. <laughs> they're just like, get them, honey. <laughs> They had no gin in them at all. Over the next few hours, the aliens drew close and then retreated. They flipped into... <laughs> whoa, now, whoa, now they do karate? Oh, shit. <laughs> they flipped into the trees when the humans oh. <laughs> tried to shoot them. <laughs> Is, it, did, did M. Night Shyamalan base freaking signs off of this one? Maybe. He's just like, I swear to God, if a priest comes out to tell someone to hit someone with a baseball bat, I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> so, so they flipped into the trees. When the humans tried to shoot them, one reached down and grabbed Taylor's hair. Finally, when all seemed quiet, several people piled into the car and fled into the town to beg the police for help. Straight up gunfight with aliens. <laughs> <laughs> the the family members also have uh have also testified that they did hit the aliens who either retreated after being hit or there the, there were no bodies found so after they hit them that the aliens just fled back in the woods and continued coming it was like the world's worst arcade like 90s arcade <laughs> game i was just i was just imagining that duck game <laughs> yeah just like, but there was no dog to like collect him afterward. <laughs> like these these aliens, it's like Area Fifty One, the video game that that you could play back in like an old like Pizza Hut or something like that, right? And, <laughs> and you're shooting those aliens, they just keep coming. Oh, just a good old night out after baseball practice at Godfather's. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, this is great. I love it. Slightly burned pizza, old arcade games, doesn't get any better. <laughs> it's been sitting under that buffet light for a little bit, but... Uh, yeah. Over the next... Okay, so wait, retreated. Four, uh, four city police, including the chief of police, drove well, out... They went, the, they went up the chain, huh? He, he <laughs> showed up. He drove out to the Sutton Farmhouse to see what had happened. <laughs> Aliens or not... <laughs> <laughs> aliens or not the crowd at the police station had seemed genuinely terrified one man 
had a pulse of 140 beats per minute. Dude, yeah, dude, all that all that lead gets your blood pumping in there. They're freaking the fuck out right now. These aren't the kind of people who normally run to the police for help, the police chief later said. So he confirmed that most of the time these people kind of just keep to themselves or, you know, they work through it on their own. They freaked out enough to run to the police. But get this, the police didn't find any evidence. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. <laughs> It, I, I don't even know how to explain it. No evidence. It's baffling. As noted in the Kentucky New Era of the next day, nothing stirred during the investigation besides one of the officers accidentally stepping on a cat's tail in the darkness outside of the house. No further excitement ensued. <laughs> it ended on a stupid jump scare. <laughs> yeah, it did. It's M. Night Shyamalan, like, real god, ah! <laughs> just like credits. <laughs> You're 100 percent correct. That's exactly what happened. <laughs> this epic, they have this epic brawl. Like, I can see this, right? This happening. They're they're in the house. They're gunfighting with these aliens, like going to town, right? Like the dad, like walks out, you know, with his gun. The head alien, you know is ready to go. The dad throws the gun away and he's like, let's do this for real. And they have like this epic boxing match, right? Like, you know what I'm saying? And then yeah, the, just, yeah. The aliens uh, flipping around in the goddamn trees. Yeah. And then freaking at the end of it, police are looking around. They're like, we don't see no, you know, don't see no silver men and, and freaking steps on a cat. It scares the audience. Movie's over. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing like an unsatisfying conclusion. <laughs> being the family though what if you did see some shit <laughs> right yeah, yeah. I, I, I do i do instantly i just I, I i hear kentucky and i go well these guys must be idiots so but but the opposite might be true i mean what if they did go through some stuff and, and now i'm just some jackass on a podcast making fun of them so so this is not the first ufo that's been seen in this area nor is it the first account towards weird creatures in these woods so there have been a couple reports of flying saucers from other police officers right and some mm -hmm. of the depictions of these aliens some of the drawing predict uh you know depictions of these aliens also match up with some of the uh there's a there's a neighboring lake monster that whoa, looks very whoa whoa whoa, whoa. <laughs> wait what <Yeah>. lake monster <laughs> yeah there, there. Kentucky is full of weird shit. <laughs> it's goofy out there. I mean, the moonshine might be spiked, but <laughs> shit happens in Kentucky. Shit, shit gets real, dude. <laughs> they don't mess around with their mom. It's not like you know Arizona, where it's like the chupacabra is just like a dog with like <laughs> a mange or something. You know what I mean? Like they have lake, like you know, bipedal lake monsters and stuff. I, I think Kentucky should stick to one. Is it going to be aliens or is it going to be monsters? It, I'm getting some real true blood vibes from season three here. Like, oh, and now fairies exist. Of course they yes. do. Get the Sup fuck out of here. Yeah. Supernatural, right? Like the show. Right. Yeah, they show up and they're like, holy crap, there's aliens and monsters? And they start shooting away. <laughs> I, I, I say pick a genre, Kentucky. <laughs> so, however... 
at least one Kentucky police officer believed Taylor and Sutton's story. Sergeant Dudas, Frank Dudas, was not among the officers who visited the Sutton house, but he'd had his own alien encounters. The summer before, Dudas and another officer reported seeing three flying saucers. I think the whole story is entirely plausible, Dudas told the Kentucky New Era. I know I saw the saucers. If I saw them, the Kelly story could certainly be true. Like, <laughs> I, I kind of like the, the, the mild backtrack there. Like, I totally know I saw them. And if I did, <laughs> it, <laughs> it, 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 it totally might be possible. <laughs> I'm 100% certain, but in case I'm wrong... <laughs> According to the same article, other officers were reluctant to give their opinions. They Shocking. About it. <laughs> it's uncertain what happened during the, the August night in 1955. But today, 300-odd citizens of nearby Kelly, Kentucky, throw an annual Little Green Men Festival or Little Green Men Days Festival every August. The trope of the aliens as Little Green Men comes from this instant incident and even steven spielberg drew his inspiration from the encounter as he made wow. E.T. wow you know you know the, you know that family's pissed though because they said it was silver aliens <laughs> uh, you want to know something funny didn't What's didn't that? uh didn't spielberg isn't there an un um shot uh sequel to et where they had like white aliens that eat like people and they're like the evil version of the et alien what yeah look it up no, I think but it was... that's it Re- release the spielberg cut yeah release the spielberg cut <laughs> cowards i think he got i think it got such bad reviews from the script alone that it just never <laughs> made it you know what i mean right 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 holy moly yeah so that is the second story. I'm going to let that simmer for a second because shooting silver aliens is intense. Right? That That's kind of a wild one no matter which way you cut it because either there's aliens and these people had an epic gun battle or these people also just had like a mass hallucination. Either <laughs> way is kind of fucking frightening. If you think about it, if you're that – if you're that family that saw this shit go down, and this is a sober family, 1955. This is during this, the the uh, UFO craze, though, where movies were starting to come out. You know what I right. mean? Comic books were starting to be a thing with aliens. It People had UFOs on the mind. So you see something weird in the sky, you think UFOs. Now, I don't know how many weird things. You, make- you, know, you know that one guy with one town over was like, Psh, it wasn't aliens, idiot. It was the fucking lake monster. <laughs> It was that, yeah, it's that goddamn lake monster. I've been telling it for a year. These stupid aliens, <laughs> idiots, bunch of dumbasses. Right. <laughs> I think we can kick off the third story if you think you're ready, Joe. Let's do it. Let's go. Let's, All right. Uh, well, I guess it won't be a hat trick because it's not. But is it a hat trick? Is three a hat trick or is four a hat trick? I thought three was a hat, I, or maybe I don't know a turkey. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, in bowling, sure. <laughs> yeah, I I don't know. I <laughs> I don't do hats and tricks, so I don't know. <laughs> Someone's gonna scream at me. They're like, "It's a basketball thing, you dumb fuck!" I'm like, "Okay." <laughs> yeah, but at least then 
will be interacting with the community. If they yell at us, that means that you know we have a chance to yell back. Well, and they clearly listened this far. So yeah, huh. if they if yeah. they didn't like our bad JFK impersonations, <laughs> I doubt they'll 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 hate our lack of knowledge of what a hat trick is. Yep. Okay, so here we go. Number three. December 17th, 1903. Our story takes place near Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. The it, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina is actually the birthplace of the first successful flight in history of a self-propelled heavier than aircraft, heavier than air aircraft. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> took me a second. Like, so not a, like, well, isn't everything heavier than air aircraft? I guess. Yeah, but I, I, I don't know. I think that that's just how they, you know, the the scientific community likes to describe what the Wright brothers flew. Is a heavier than air aircraft? A self-propelled heavier than air aircraft. Yes, yes, self-propelled. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> right. <laughs> It still so, kind of only makes half sense, but let's get it right. <laughs> so during that flight, there were five witnesses. Our story follows one of those witnesses. His name is John Munksk. M-U-N-S-K. John Munksk. Ooh, that's that's a that's that's a, that's a harsh last name. It's it's a it's a mouth it's a Munskful. It's a mouthful. Ooh, bad puns. Hey. Ooh. Yeah, I worked on that one all day today, so. <laughs> I even wrote it down. <laughs> it's in the notes. <laughs> Highlighted, too. <laughs> so John Munksk, son of Karl Munksk, born of French descent. It's a French name. They, they came from France. The Munks family, Munksk family, were primarily metal workers. Carl Munks made his fortune by producing engine components for steam engines and railroad replacement parts. They did shit with railroads, right? Obviously, got, that leads to heavier than air. Yeah, that, you know, yeah. So, so he's watching it, right? <laughs> so, he, oh, he didn't do anything with it. He, he's just a witness. Well, I'm burying the lead because that. Uh, leads okay. To, yeah. Okay. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> So John Monks was born on June 24th, 1842, right? On his – the day he was born, there was a catastrophic train wreck because of engine, uh, engine failures, like the parts failed, from one of the Monks family competitors. One of the competing businesses had a train. Components failed. Bad, bad accident. Obviously, right? Callahan brakes. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? They were they, – they don't need a guarantee. Right. <laughs> Guaranteed. Um, this is why you always buy a Munsk. <laughs> the Munsk. Monks, you know you as got As popular it. today as it was then. <laughs> but Carl Monks saw this as an amazing, um, an amazingly good omen because he's a businessman, right? <laughs> Who cares about dead bodies the when there's money his, to be made? On the day of his son's birth, people died. As opposed to miscalculations from his competitors, great fucking day. <laughs> so you get an idea of what kind of family we're dealing with. Level-headed, no troubles inside, I see. Yep, normal people. 
very wealthy normal people. John was raised around machinery and developed an early fascination with the steam engine. His father would often take John to one of his many factories, always taking pride that his son would play around the factory as though it was a school playground. Now, no, nothing says uh, nothing says child safety like that. <laughs> he's like he's like son 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 go play with this hammer please go, go get something hard. I'm trying to do business. You see that smelting machine over there? <laughs> uh, wear gloves. It's fine. Yeah. If you see the workers running, run with them. <laughs> I mean, keep keep in mind too. This is still when people would die or be like maimed in these factories. So. <laughs> <laughs> this is still when kids would go into coal mines, so yeah. I guess a factory at least was a little bit safer. So. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, I guess if you're doused with coal, not as bad as being molten <laughs> metal. Right. Or is he – he's the canary of the factory. Yeah. <laughs> the kid, the, if the kid's not moving, the coal worker, the, the, the factory worker's are like, we got to get out of here. We gotta, oh, shit. Shit hit the fan. So – playing with his dad that was his early childhood right in the summer of 1860 right before john's 18th birthday his father died due to a tragic factory accident right making shocking joy. yeah i am amazed with all their safety procedures he fatal accident what have you Wait, making I, w- John's I wonder son- i wonder if his competitors were cheering their birth of a child <laughs> some other competitor's kid was born that day and they're like today today is a good day <laughs> Fucking months. I knew I'd get him back one day. <laughs> yep. So, but this made John the sole owner of the Monk's family company, right? Nothing says stability like 18 years old. <laughs> well, he was before 18, so he's like 17 and a half. Oh, forgot about that. We got to put the half in there. <laughs> yeah. So, the following years were very good to John. Business was good. Life was good. He was prospering having two kids and being married all before 25. Homie's getting it done. He's getting it done. He's out there slinging railroad. He's doing great. He's like, it's like the, the fucking wolf of rail. Was it not the wolf? Of Wall Street? <laughs> the, the, railroad? the wolf of rail street. <laughs> yeah. Like he's out there just making it done. Right. He's chewing he, bubblegum. He's, he's tossing little people. He's, he's, dude, he's chewing bubble gum and he's laying railroad and he's all out of bubble gum. That's John Mullins. <laughs> so while he was on a business trip, though, to North Carolina in 1902, Monks heard about two brothers attempting to fly using machinery. The Wright brothers. Now, uh, just remember, the Wright brothers at this time in 1902 were just gliding. So they're self-propelled. Heavier than an air aircraft was not had not taken flight. That was 1903. So right now they're just gliding, which was pretty right. revolutionary. He he heard about it, you know. So through a series of events. Yeah. So this this is a nature propelled heavier than air aircraft. Right. <laughs> and and through a series of events, I would assume rich people pulling strings strings. Monks was able to be one of the first witnesses to see the Wright brothers take flight for 12 seconds and flying 120 feet. John was so astounded that this could happen and a man could possibly take to the sky that he became obsessed with finding a way to fly himself. And he dedicated himself to this endeavor. He saw the shit happen and blew his mind. problem. (laughs) 
Like, I'm a millionaire. Know what I'd like? Another fucking hobby. Yeah. He Fuck was her. so astounded. <laughs> so he be, he became, it, it was, it was a, uh, he was obsessed, right? He saw mm. this and he was like, this is the next, this is, to him, that was like, I got it. I got to figure out how to do this. It's like the internet craze. How can it's I like, put tracks in the sky? Yeah. He saw the creation of MySpace and he's like, how do I get on Facebook? You know? So. We got to beat Tom first. Yeah. Oh, that. Tom, do you think Tom was Zuckerberg's first friend? Dude, I've got no thumb crying. <laughs> that was legit hilarious. Good stuff. Okay, so John was flying hungry. John Monks, Monks started creating blueprints using what he understood about steam engines and what he saw from the Wright brothers to create his own flying machine. <laughs> okay. well, as we all know, we use steam engines still today in, in aeronautics. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. John's theory was the Wright brothers were not moving fast enough to actually stay in the air. So the plans that John settled on was what he coined as the steam-powered propulsion system, which was a mixture of being a straight-up fucking cannon, right? <laughs> which propelled using uh, propelled a capsule using compressed steam to rocket the craft into the sky. So, so when the Wright he brothers, took he took he took like the stack out of a train and turned it sideways. Yes, exactly. Like, so. <laughs> I was I was sitting there going like, I know he knows his stuff about trains, but this is so early on when that would be like, well, I can also put it in the air too, right? Like this is just how this is how new yeah. this technology why, is. Why not, right? People thought that was amazing back early 1800s when the first steam engine was created, right? You know, and they were why like, this can will I just never put work. some wings on this mofo and we will get yeah. we'll get going. So, monks made this system. Being so excited about his new invention, Monksk, Monksk set to work on it immediately without any tests. He just headfirst, right? <laughs> Obviously. When asked about his theory about on how he could fly using his contraption, he would answer if the Wright brothers could fly using rail car propulsion because they pulled their craft using rail car, right. right, for 12 seconds, how long can I fly using cannon propulsion? Or I don't think they pulled it. <laughs> I think they used a rail car and then he took off. <laughs> He's fucking Wiley Coyote. <laughs> Dude, it's exactly. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> well, I, I mean, all his goddamn tools from Acme. <laughs> Holy shit. Okay. So. <laughs> <laughs> John was so convinced that his machine would work that he eventually dedicated two of the three or two of three factories dedicate two of his three factories to making it a reality. <laughs> this seems a lot. That does he not have a does, does he not have a business manager? I think he's just making fresh parts, right? I mean, I mean he's he's running around like he used to in the factory just willy-nilly as <laughs> just no cares in the world. Dad said I could play with this hammer. 
I want to make an airplane now with a fucking cannon. (laughs) (laughs) Is fucking evil Knievel going to show up? (laughs) Holy shit. (laughs) Sean is just like, helmet, what a little bitch. I don't wear helmets with my (laughs) (laughs) So, the cannon component was measured out to be just over 21 meters or 69 feet long after it was constructed. That's why he needed oh the two factories. That oh my was just God. a barrel. What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> like, did, was, is there carny <laughs> in his blood? Is he just going to shoot a fucking airplane out of a cannon? What? What? So the capsule that he invented looked akin to a bullet. The grooving of the barrel would assist the wings to deploy as the capsule would spin out of the barrel, then stabilize as the wings, you know, came out as they deployed. Okay, so it's all rolled up inside of a tube that would then spin around like a bullet, and then the wings would... So if How you does he know it's going to come out right side up? <laughs> <laughs> well, so I think – so I, the the I, the capsule was weighted, right? And if you look inside the barrel, that's – I mean that's modern-day you know, grooving is modern-day – that's how people shoot bullets. I mean – Right, yeah, the, the, rif- yeah. the rifling in a barrel. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep, yep, so it spin. I think his theory was is that you make one side heavier and it spins out. After it leaves the cannon, the spinning would help jettison the wings out and then it would right – Take off. But, but you're you're inside this thing the whole time, right? <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> no problems I see. Carry on, sir. <laughs> so he was building this sucker, right? In nineteen oh seven, at during construction and during the creation of the stabilization jacks, which is what would hold the actual cannon component, one of the jacks failed and it actually crushed four workers. Oh no! How many competitors' kids though were happy? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at that so, point, well, <laughs> monks gave the rest of the workers the day off, but then had everybody come back the next day. Well, one we day. Know, yeah. I mean, they you know take the day. Take. I, I you know I saw I saw four dudes' heads get crushed. Take the day. Well, hey. From what I hear, that's all you need for PTSD. (laughs) Listen to this one. In 1909, two years later, while Monksk was testing a compression module for the propulsion system, a faulty lock caused an explosion in the factory. No one was killed. No one was killed. Sorry, I don't mean to laugh. No one was killed, but the factory burned down and Monksk lost an eye. Oh, my God. So, no... But now he has two factories, so is he, is he going to convert the one remaining factory that wasn't doing this nonsense into his? Well, so this is coming up to the end. He has two more years. So so he, he had – or no, he had three more years left, right, before he's finished. But yeah, so now he's rolling around with one eye. Like his no. life is finished or the airplane's finished or is it the, both? The, 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 <laughs> yeah, no, before – yeah, you'll, you'll see. But in 1911, <laughs> the Monks family had to sell off. The one uh, factory that wasn't being used, that was being used to create railroad parts, sell off the other factory due to the cre- creation of the uh, propulsion system. 
John was convinced that his machine would not only work, but would put them at the forefront of air travel. So he was gambling his entire fortune to say, if this works, right, and we can start making – we can just use this factory that we've already established to build these things, and we'll literally be the first people to start doing this. So See, why, this why not? This is why you don't let your kids run around factories with hammers. <laughs> okay? They just – it goes so – I mean the one factory that's making money. Okay. <laughs> I mean come on. This is it. This is why you just don't let kids inherit stuff. <laughs> so – Not good business sense. <laughs> so in 1912, the first official working so how prototype – So is this like 10 years in the making? Oh, yeah. He put – Oh, my God. Well, nine years because 1903 is when he saw the flight. Right. Blood, sweat, and tears literally into this thing. And an eye. And an eye. One eyeball. And four workers. <laughs> that classic saying, four. blood, sweat, tears, four dead bodies, and an eyeball. Yeah. That's where it came. <laughs> so in 1912, the first official working prototype of the system was finished and ready to test. Okay. John was so sure that his system would work that he wanted to be the test flyer. And in November 1913, on a cold morning, John gathered 52 witnesses to watch his launch. The witnesses included others interested in flight, journalists, and one senator. <laughs> Wait, oh, oh, okay. <laughs> I was like, that was a big pause. I was waiting for the name. <laughs> oh, no. no, I, no I just just the senator. But okay. I'm like <laughs> – that one guy, Albert Einstein. No. <laughs> no. So the launch was supposed to take place on a clear day so they could all see him soaring like an eagle majestically through the air. Well, After he spins out of a fucking cannon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But the okay. weather conditions had a low cloud cover with light fog. John was not going to be deterred and reassured everyone that they would all be able to see him fly through the clouds. As John entered his capsule, he waved to the audience, and they all cheered. He was very excited. <laughs> he started the machine up, and once the pressure hit the calculated amount, the contraption was activated. <laughs> That's a really nice way of saying, launch the fuck out of a tube. <laughs> <laughs> the resulting... Ex <laughs> the resulting explosion... That was produced by the cannon was so deafening that the audience was uh, disoriented. It was later <laughs> revealed that the bang could be heard as far as two towns over. <laughs> the <laughs> oh, God. The redneck in me just loves this story. So, like, hold my beer. Hold on. <laughs> This reminds me of the last 4th of July. Like, nah, should, that sparkler bomb shouldn't be that bad. <laughs> the capsule did jettison out of the system and take oh, it did. <laughs> One of the audience members claims to have seen the capsule enter the clouds. The rest <laughs> of the audience were trying to recover. <laughs> <laughs> Just imagine if I just like, all right, let's everyone's see just it. hitting the deck. <laughs> oh, oh holy shit! Not swear he hit that cloud though. <laughs> I looked up and I 
was like, that ego? <laughs> the rest of everybody's just walking around. <laughs> you know, there was one redneck there that just didn't even flinch, right? He's like, holy <laughs> shit. Shit, my 30 out 6 sounds bigger than that. <laughs> you ever shoot a 50 cal? Whee, there's a boom for it. <laughs> so, let's see here. It did take the sky. One of the audience members claims to have seen it enter the clouds. After the audience recovered, they waited in anticipation for monks to return. But after over an hour of waiting... <laughs> there was no, no monks. <laughs> an, an hour. An hour. It's an hour after the recovered, so it was probably like two hours they were trying to figure this out. <laughs> nah, he'll come back. <laughs> I saw him enter that cloud. He's coming back. He's Give him back, it. cloud. <laughs> this is so goddamn cloud people. <laughs> See, this is why a man isn't supposed to be able to fly. The clouds get jealous. <laughs> it's the curse of the sky. The sky people. <laughs> that same guy that he did was a brave fight. man taking on the clouds. Man's true enemy. <laughs> Everybody's freaking out, and some dude like puts his nails on a key, on a chalkboard like in Jaws, and he's like, "I've seen a cloud eat a man." I'll kill that cloud for you, but it's going to cost you. <laughs> Put me in the capsule. <laughs> We're going to need a bigger cannon. <laughs> going straight for it. Whew, okay. The journalist that was there took to, uh, or the journalists that were there took to news stories to speculate where monks could have gone. In the local <laughs> paper, <laughs> in the local paper, or papers, uh, oh, the local papers referred to Monks as the North Carolina Cloud Man. <laughs> well, not wrong. <laughs> Apropos, some speculated that he lived in the clouds and would make his return soon. <laughs> well, he obviously he acclimated to the cloud people, became one of them, like dances with wolves, yeah, but with, you know, they- clouds. They had their differences, but eventually they saw eye to eye. <laughs> Turns out they both hated the white man. <laughs> they needed railroads in, in the skies. They <laughs> cloud railroads now. <laughs> no one knew where Monks was or when he would return. In December of 1912, or I'm sorry, in December of 1913, so later that same year, um, a cattle farmer found a large crater in the far part of his pro- <laughs> far part of his property. This would later to re- be revealed to be Monk's craft. The wings never deployed. <laughs> Listen. <laughs> Experts today say that monks almost or most likely (coughs) monks most likely died from steam burning him to death during the initial launch. Oh, he didn't put windows on the thing. (laughs) (laughs) But if that didn't kill him, 
then the force of the launch and the spiraling of the aircraft could have killed him as well. <laughs> and then, of course, the crash. This guy <laughs> died probably before the bullet left the cannon. <laughs> Oh, I know I shouldn't laugh, but fuck me. Monks is actually credited with generating much interest in air flight. His death was... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess, hey, all, all press is good press, baby. <laughs> this just in, man takes the clouds, later found dead. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. His death was preceded by the first official commercial flight in 1914. Not even a year later. They found did they, launch it, did they launch it out of a tube? They did not. It was an airboat. So, oh, yeah, okay. It was, a, it was a legit commercial flight. <laughs> <laughs> so ends John Monksk. <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. Died like the last letter of his last name. Hard. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> Fucking the North Carolina cloud, man. <laughs> uh, that's wild. That. Uh, I don't care if that's yeah. true or not. That's just a good story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Can you uh, imagine giving the thumbs up to this crowd, blowing up, fucking <laughs> knocking everybody on their ass? spiraling in your death capsule to fucking some like to some like you know far off distant farmer's property that you crash land <laughs> well that is your third story oh man i just love the idea that he's just like you put the m propeller in the front of the airplane idiots yeah let me show you how it's done dumbass I'm like, cannon propulsion. <laughs> yeah, and while all while this is happening, they're like inventing like a normal airplane, like some airboat. <laughs> they literally are like, hey, w we tested this thing out, and we have like 15 people that want to fly. So yeah, they're, they're already taking money for the first commercial like plane ride. <laughs> oh man, I hope this is how Mars X goes. <laughs> Elon's just giving the thumbs up and it's like boom <laughs> oh let's see a Tesla pull that one <laughs> he's just like that fool used steam I'm using ionic <laughs> propulsion <laughs> <laughs> idiot it's like, yeah, it's like a nuke just <laughs> <laughs> he's using nuclear propulsion oh alright so you got it now you got all three stories so let's lay them out. Let's let's recap real quick, <clears throat> and then I'll go through, or let's let's do like a one by one recap. And then I want to get your thoughts and whether or not you think these stories are real or fake, real Sounds or allegedly. Let's do it. All right. So first up, we got James T. Mangan and his uh, Nation of Celestial Space, also known as Celestia. Created a micro yeah. nation. And, and with the with the the ultimate the nicest letdown from JFK ever. <laughs> <laughs> it was so pro. So pro. So good. He's just like so settle the fuck down. Not 
All right, what, what do you think? What are your thoughts and when or not? Oh, man. See, the way – I mean, I, the third story is throwing me off because that one's so ridiculous. <laughs> but I can – like, what I don't understand about the first one is that like he's so clever about legal loopholes that, like – but yet he spends his whole time doing the dumbest thing possible with it when he probably could have actually made actual change. <laughs> right. No, no. Keep in mind. I, I want to. I'm gonna. I'm gonna say that one's false. I think that's a false lead. Okay. The official. The the official thing. True. This is really? a real story. Yep. What? The, the, the nation of celestial. Uh, the nation of celestial space does exist. You can go and try to register to be a representative or something of, with of, them of the universe. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that that is a true story. <laughs> Oh, dude. Okay. Well, that just throws my whole game off, man. (laughs) Keep in mind, there is one real one. There is one true in in all of this. So they're not all fake. They're not all true. You know what I mean? There's always got to be one. Yeah, there's always at least one one real one. So first one. Boom. True. Man. Yeah, I'd love this. I'd love to see the bibliography on that one. (laughs) Second one. Aliens attacking... Um, what's their name here? Let, let's see here. Got to get their names because I forget it. Oh, okay. Aliens attacking the Sutton family in their farmhouse. Right. And they weren't drinking. Weren't totally sober. Right. And and now because of that, we, we, we have a little green man fest. Yep, down, down in, in, in Hopkinsville. See, party I, think Hopkins. there's a, a, I think there's a festival in Hopkinsville. I don't think they actually saw aliens. It was probably the lake monster, obviously, from the town over. Now, keep in mind, this doesn't mean that this has to have happened, but it means that it was an event. So whether these people are lying or not or whatever, this was a reported historical event. You can find it somewhere, that kind of thing. But it could all be bullshit. You see, do I think it – see, it's the entire family coming down to the police station – like there wasn't one person there that was said BS. <laughs> like I I didn't see a silver person walking around doing fucking kung fu and shit. <laughs> Jumping through the trees, grabbing hair. Yeah, fucking. Oh man, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go with true. That one is true. What? See now yep. now I'm all confused on this third one. <laughs> all right, going down. John Munsk, the one we just heard, took to the skies. He is the cloud man. <laughs> See, like the way you laughed through that story either means it's ridiculously true or you're like super proud of yourself. <laughs> I mean, I guess I'll we'll have to see. I, dude, did did we did we do another hat trick here? Are all three true? What, I'm gonna, what's your? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go false on that one. It's too good of a story. That I think they made it false. up. It is oh. made up. <laughs> Thank God. <laughs> I had way too good of a time listening to some dumbass launch himself out of a bullet, a cannon. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, no, that one. <clears throat> John Monks, unfortunately, is a, a person of our imagination. We made him up. I like the hard K, the like the the. That that threw me for a loop for a second. Monks. Yeah, that's good. That's a good detail. 
Yeah, I mean, it's French, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, it surely wouldn't be Munsk. 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 Yeah, sure, whatever. It's a made-up name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'd be whatever we fucking wanted to be. Right. He was an alien, and he survived. Hey, look at that. <laughs> He's made a new story. <laughs> the wings deployed, and that's how we fly today. It's the birth <laughs> of the commercial aircraft, people. You're welcome. Right. <laughs> well, there you, there you have it, Joe. Your score today, you got one wrong, two right. You did pretty good. That's not bad. That's not bad. Hey, dude, I mean, that's like, that's like, it's like the Munsk factory. Ratio. <laughs> one, one's still legitimately working. The other two, uh, t- TBD. Well, one exploded, but hey. <laughs> it's totally fine. This is okay, guys. We we got a we got an airplane on the way. Things are gonna be up for the Monsk family. <laughs> All right, and that is the allegedly podcast. Thank you for tuning in. Hope that you guys will come back next week with more stories and more true or false facts. Uh, listen to us on Spotify, uh, Apple Music, or wherever else you find fine podcasts. <laughs>